Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today on the program, we've got Dan Crenshaw, congressman from Houston, Texas, who is a rising star in the Republican Party. How long does somebody have to be a rising star before you can just call them a star? I think he's there. He's a star in the Republican Party. Some have referred to him as the future of the GOP. He is a Navy SEAL who served our country honorably with five tours of duty, uh, including Purple Hearts and all sorts of awards uh, to recognize the service and sacrifice he made over there. He is a sixth generation Texan, a sixth, I say, and that's why he makes sense, as most people from Texas do. <laughs> Not all, but most. That's been my experience. Midwesterners, Texans, people like me from upstate New York tend to make sense. That's That's been my impression, Democrat or Republican for that matter. So we will get to Dan Crenshaw in a moment, and I will ask him about some of his wars with, among others, AOC. She likes to sort of try to pick at him, and then he's kind of always smacking her down and not letting her play the victim, and it's kind of fun to watch. So we'll talk about that, how Trump's doing, his latest electoral challenge that Trump just filed, what does Dan think about it, and all the rest of it. We'll get to that in one second. But first, let's talk about home title lock and why you need it. I got a crash course in home title theft. This is a thing. And you better pray this never happens to you because it can ruin you financially. Here's how the crime happens. You see, the legal titles to all of our homes are kept online, where sadly they can be hacked. A cyber thief finds your home's title, forges your signature on a quick claim deed, stating, oh, you sold your house to him. It's his now. Then he takes out loans against your home until all your equity is gone. Meantime, you have no idea. You don't know until the collection calls pour in. You're not protected when you find out by insurance, by your bank, or by any common identity theft programs. And that is where Home Title Lock comes in. They will protect you. And in the unlikely event that you do become a victim of title theft while a member, Home Title Lock will spend up to a quarter million bucks in legal fees to help restore your home's title. Can you believe? No one, no one does that. That's amazing. So they put their money where their mouth is. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you've already become a victim, and then use code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. And now, Representative Dan Crenshaw. 
Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Megan. All right, let's start with uh, who's going to be the next president, (laughs) because Trump is still saying it's him. And I've been skeptical of his legal filings thus far and, you know, open minded, but skeptical, having read most of them, but not all the exhibits and so on. Uh, But I will tell you, he has just filed something in Georgia that I actually think is pretty decent but also pretty late in the game. So I just want to get the listeners up to speed. This is alleging not the massive Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood voter fraud with these Dominion voter machines. It's talking about smaller ball issues that they say resulted in all sorts of tens of thousands of ballots being um, messed with and ineligible to for the count. And the one I want to zero in on with you is um, they're they're angry in Georgia about the signatures uh, not, not being compared. The signature that you fill out when you register to vote is supposed to be compared to the signature on your absentee ballot application and, and your absentee ballot envelope. The vote itself doesn't have your signature, or your name, because it's anonymous. It's secret. But anyway, the Trump camp says you there needed to be a very careful comparison of the signatures on the registration files versus those on the ballot applications, the ballot envelopes. You didn't do it. And we should have had an audit. Um, but they didn't order it and that was wrong. And, uh, now we need to have the vote essentially thrown out. They want to redo. And and let me just tell you exactly what they're alleging. Now, if it's figures are correct, and I don't know if the complaints figures are correct, but if the figures cited therein are correct, this is what they're saying. Um, and by the way, kudos to Andy McCarthy of national review for helping me understand this in a great piece posted there in 2016, Georgia disallowed I'm just going to round 6,000 ballots because the signatures didn't match up, which is 2.9% of all ballots. In 2018, they disallowed, call it 7,900 ballots, which is 3.46% of all ballots. You know, they they found some funny business in the signatures. In 2020, Georgia disallowed 4,471 ballots, which is 0.34% of all ballots received. In other words, the number of mail-in ballots, which 1.3 million, was five times in 2020 what it was in 2016 and four times what it was in 2018. And yet the the number of ballots disallowed fell. It was below what they disallowed in 16 and 18. And what the Trump campaign is alleging is they they phoned it in. They didn't do what they needed to do to make sure that the ballots lined up and that somebody wasn't sending in a vote that shouldn't have been cast. And that if you just if you just were to apply the same rejection rates that that were in 16 or 18, it would disqualify between 38,000 and 45,000 ballots. And even Andy points out, even if you assume a rejection rate of just 2 percent, right, not 0.034 like we've had this year, uh, that would amount to just that would amount to 26,000 ballots that would have been rejected. Now, Biden won absentee ballots by a two to one rate. So now we're down to now we're talking brass tacks because he only won the state by less, just just under 12,000. So this on, on the basis of all this, Trump is asking the court to prevent certification of the vote, even though it's been done. They want the court to enjoin the state from appointing electors to the Electoral College. And they're basically saying order a new presidential election, which they know cannot be done. They, they, that can't be done prior to a week from today which really means disenfranchisement is the only option. And this is essentially a plea to have electors chosen in a different way. They want they want the state legislature essentially to, to decide something other than what the voters of Georgia, you know, believe they decided. So 
That's a that's the latest coming out of Georgia. I think it's the best challenge they filed yet if they can prove it. But they're kind of out of time. So you've been taking a look at some of this stuff down in Georgia, some of these claims. What's your reaction to that? Yeah. You know, when I was down there, this was what everybody was talking about. Um, audit the signatures, audit the signatures. And um, but the other frustration that everyone had down there was, why didn't they do this earlier? The, mm-hmm. This it, because it is a task that that could, that could be done, um, but it's obviously much more difficult to do it. The later the later and later you wait, um, it, it, it starts to appear almost frivolous, even though it's it's serious. Um, and, and then they're asking for the fix to be to just throw out the votes. I think that'll be a, a hard sale, a hard sell. Um, that the fix should be an actual audit. Um, and uh, you know, again, I don't see why not. I've I've always said that when when so many people don't believe the outcome of an election, um, it doesn't matter whether their 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 reasoning is grounded in reality or not. They just don't believe it, and that's really harmful to a democracy. And I, I don't think we should we should we should treat them poorly when they just want to be proven they want their election proven to them. Why not help them with that? Why not actually do that? Why not audit it? Mm-hmm. But also why not have brought that up weeks ago? We wasted so much time in so many of these, in so many of these uh, court cases. Um, and, and, and why that is, I, I don't really know. Yeah. They're arguing about that now because the, the head of the Georgia GOP, this guy, David Schaefer, he's the one who filed the lawsuit along with Trump. He says that the Secretary of State Raffensperger broke his promise to issue a bulletin allowing the Georgia Republicans to observe absentee ballot signature verification. And Raffensperger responded, the signature verification process was public and you could have observed it any time. You didn't have your act together and you missed it. It's not my fault. There's been a lot of back and forth like that. Um, where where the the Secretary of State has said, look, we we've made massive improvements on how to verify these signatures. That's why we don't want to do an audit. Look, I I removed myself from the details of that. I'm I'm not following it closely enough to really know what the truth is. Um, but the truth needs to get out. I, w- I would say something about the rejection rates that that keep getting mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. a, a far smaller rejection rate now than before. Yeah, I'd like to see an explanation for that. It. Maybe there is. Maybe maybe the actual process got tightened up over the last couple of years. I don't know. I want I want to hear an explanation for that. Perhaps there is one. But I want to make a broader point, and, and it is this: the fact that there even is a rejection rate should terrify us. This this is why this is why when we take a the thirty thousand foot view on on what to do about our elections and and the integrity of our elections, we have to severely limit mail in ballots. We just have to. Um, they should be they should be designated for people who who cannot be who cannot be there to vote in person. You know, military members being an obvious example, or or you you're too old to make it to the polls, you're too disabled to make it to the polls. Right there, there has to be some exceptions, I think. But for the most part, um, we've 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 as Bill Barr said months ago, we were playing with fire by massively expanding our mail-in ballot system. The fact that there is any rejection rate should give us pause. There's only one of two reasons that there can be a rejection rate, okay? The election the election official sees that signatures don't match, but it really is a valid ballot, a valid person, a legal person, and they still reject the ballot because the person screwed up their own signature or filled it out wrong. So you just rejected a, a, a real person trying to vote who is a citizen and, and lives in that state. And the second reason, the election official did the right thing because those signatures don't match, let's say. And that person was trying to commit fraud. So you, you you have two do you have two possible reasons why a ballot is rejected? Why would we even want to risk this? 
Why do we even accept a system where any percentage of ballots are so often rejected? This is a problem, especially in such tight races when, you know, in many of these swing states, um, we're, we're, we're deciding elections by, by such few votes. I, I just can't believe that we even want this system. So we do have to take a step back and think to ourselves, how do we want to have our elections go moving forward? Um, and how do we want to make sure that, that we don't even have these discussions about what could have happened? The, the thing is, when a process is so loose and so unverifiable, like a lot of these processes are, it becomes pretty easy to make allegations that could be true and create chaos effectively. And that's not the that's not the people's fault for questioning it. That's not their fault. See, that's where the left gets this one wrong. They say, oh, just sit down and shut up. There's nothing to see here. Well, I'm sorry, but if the process is so loose, that's the actual problem. That's the problem. And you got to have an airtight process. Well, and people don't trust them because they've made clear not only did they want Trump to lose, they hate him, hate. And they spent four years trying to take him out in other ways. So I think there's a healthy dose of distrust on the Republican side when it comes to these claims that we, we would never. And I realize that George is run by Republicans. You know, this is a Republican secretary of state and a Republican governor. But that doesn't mean that every everyone touching ballots was a Republican. They weren't. And that's why, you know, even the governor said we should have an audit of the signature matches. And uh, the, sec- the secretary of state is saying no. So it's kind of getting a little civil worry inside the Republican Party. And I want to ask you about that piece of it, because I saw you swept up in that just a little because Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell have been down there. They're they're handling the other lane of challenges, saying um Dominion voting machines are corrupt and were manipulated on election night, somehow controlled by Joe Biden to flip votes from Trump to him. We have yet to see the proof of that. No one has seen the proof of that. And um, they had a rally the other night where Lynn Wood got up and said, uh, don't vote. Don't vote in the Senate runoffs. Why would you? Um, You know, you you shouldn't. You can't trust these machines and um, and basically ripping on the party. And you you called him a grifter saying he just wants your donations for his legal fees. Then Michelle Malkin attacked you as a globalist John McCain with an eye patch, which I don't I'm not sure what you think of that. But why do you think Linwood is a grifter? He says he's just ticked off at a crappy vote. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think he is trying to make money off of this this whole thing. I think that's clear. I, I think that those two have done a, an immense amount of damage to the president's case um, because they they distract from the real issues, right? We just talked about a, a, an, an issue that's actually worth looking into, say, auditing the signatures. Let's just make sure. Let's audit at least just a sample of them. Let's see how many turned out not to be but not to not to be correct. I mean. That, that makes a lot of sense, right? But then they start talking about, you know, servers in Germany and, and, and Venezuelan conspiracy theories. And it, 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 it gives the rest of the public and on the left and the left-wing media all the reasoning they need in the world to just dismiss everything all at once. They've done an immense amount of damage to the president's case. Um, I would also note that, that, that Lynn Wood has a long history of being a Democrat um, and a lawyer and Democrat policies. When Democrats are in power, it's very good for lawyers. So I don't know. I start to put all of these things together and I start to wonder, do you are you do you really have the interest of Trump supporters uh, at hand here? I don't think you do. Um, and I continue to believe that putting all that aside is that's so I'm now. So I'm imputing his motivations a little bit. Sure. Mm-hmm. But putting that aside, let, let's say his motivations are pure. Um, it's still a really bad idea not to vote. The The, the best way to reward the socialists and the left-wing media that tell you to sit down and shut up is to not vote. Okay. If, 
if, if if you think that if you think that quitting is equal to winning, I I I don't know. I don't I don't know where you come down on that. It's not. Um, quitting is losing, and um, I don't I don't think we want to lose. And everything is on the line here. Um, it's pretty rare that we have an election like we do in Georgia, where so much is at stake in a single election in a single state. Um, it, it's pretty historic. Uh, that's why I was down there. That's why I'll continue to go down there and um, and, and advocate for this. Um, your your rights are under threat. We know exactly what the Democrats want to do. Um, I've seen it get passed out of the House here um, for the last two years. So-called moderate Democrats and far-left radicals, they, they all vote on the same things. And I know exactly what's coming down the pipe. If they gain control of the entire Congress. Um, so... <laughs> People know they need to vote. And, and that is the vibe, by the way, that I got when I was on the ground in Georgia. Um, I, I am optimistic. I'm becoming a little more optimistic that this, this whole conspiracy theory about don't go vote, don't, you know, that movement is, is basically a Twitter movement um, mm-hmm. and uh, perpetuated by opportunist and another grifter, Michelle Malkin. Um, you have to understand something about somebody like Michelle. She, she was formerly a, a fairly normal conservative. I don't know what happened to her. Over the years, um, she she did get um, uh, situated with with some other groups like they called themselves the Groypers. They're deeply racist, anti-Semitic groups uh, that sort of cloak themselves in MAGA terminology. Like they 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 wear the they wear "Make America Great Again" hats. They 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 say they're they're America first, pro-Trump, but then they they only they're they're obsessive about things like America's support for Israel. Um, and they're, they're very anti-Israel. So this is what Michelle Malkin has sort of become over time. You have to realize that she's, she's, she's not what you think she is. Um, you have to also realize something else about people like her. She wants to lose. And why would she want to lose? Why would she want the conservative side to lose? Because when you lose, you're angry, right? When you lose, you're under attack. And then you look and you're, and you're mad. And so you look for the angriest voices on social media. And she's one of those. So this really is a money-making scheme for her. Um, they, they do not have any interest in winning because her power is derived from extra clicks and extra content and making you think that she's the purest of the pure, like, like she's the one who really understands you. And she'll, they'll tell you that, right? And you hear this kind of language oftentimes, like, I'm the only one you can trust. Um, it's very manipulative. Uh, and and, and, and I, I think it's worth exposing uh, pe- people like her. They have no interest in you winning. They have no interest in you getting what you actually want. Hmm. All right. I'll I'll offer a defense of Lynn and Michelle since they're not here, uh, just in fairness to them. Lynn Wood, he has had a, a pretty badass history as a lawyer. I mean, he not only did he re- represent the Covington kid, Nick Sandman, successfully from what we read, but, um, you know, going back to Richard Jewell, Duke Lacrosse and so on, he's, this guy's had a, a pretty successful history as a lawyer, which is why it is odd to see him standing up there making some of these arguments and and he does say, even though Breitbart and the Trump campaign actually tweeted out that he has this voting history going for Dems, he was like, yeah, but I voted for Donald Trump and I'm, I'm a Trump supporter. And, you know, I, I mean what I say. Malkin, you know, she throws punches and she can re- she can receive them, too. Well, but but I'll, but he voted only in the Democrat primaries in the presidential election. We don't know who he voted for in the general election. I would just I would just I would just say that. Mm. And not to take away, he obviously does have some pretty great uh, legal wins. So I'll give him that. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, it doesn't look like this is going to be one of them. I mean, I, I, the Dominion voting uh, argument is is not going anywhere. That one's dying on the vine and quickly in every single court in which it's been filed. Um, 
Malkin, you know, she's, I, I feel like she's been attacked so much. She found a posse of folks around her that are really controversial. And I could see her loathe to denounce them because, you know, I think as a Republican, you're constantly getting asked to denounce this one or denounce that one. And sometimes you really do need to denounce, you know, like sometimes it's not all a media creation, but I could sort of see her getting backed into this corner where she just refused to do it. And then a lot of the Republicans disassociate, disassociated with her. And now she's out there with her swords, just fighting, fighting battle after battle. She's got a show on Newsmax and, um, you know, she gets, she gets her say. So I wanted to give you the chance to you know, respond because it's, it's not nice to call you that, that, that phrase. I know you've heard, you've been called worse. Yeah. Uh, let me well, shift no, gears. No, nobody yeah, came ahead. after Michelle. I never came after Michelle. You know, she, she starts her own fights. You know, there, there's, there's no excusing her behavior and the, and, and the cliff that she's fallen off of. Um, it, it's, it's, it's concerning. Um, like there's, there's, some, there's something, there's something deeply wrong there, I, I think. Um, and so I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a defense or not, but yeah, we can move on. Hmm. So what do you think, what, what's going to happen uh, in Georgia? I mean, do you think the certification will stand and what do you think is going to happen with the, with the presidential race overall? Cause now we're, we're one week away. We're in the safe Harbor period now, which means the states are not supposed to change their, their certifications after the close of business on Tuesday. They can, it's not like a federal law that they can't, but what do you think is going to happen? It's an uphill battle um, for, for the president's campaign. It, it it does seem like we're on we're on track to uh, it, it's on track to be certified as is. Um, but as I've I've always supported investigating and overturning every stone, and and, and, I, and I still do. I think and I think that's that's kind of the takeaway about all this. There, there's been a lot of issues that have been raised. There's hundreds of affidavits, sworn statements of people saying they see things. Um, that that indicate uh, bad behavior, poor processes, like like I talked about before. Um, you know, is, is that over? Is that enough to overturn the election? It it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like that case is strong um, right now. But um, we we will see when it's certified and when the electoral college meets. More with Dan Crenshaw in just one minute. But first, let's talk about blinds galore. Have you ever been sitting in your room enjoying yourself and then? You cannot see because the sun is so blind in your eyes. It can happen summer or winter. I have blue eyes. They cannot take the sun. I have to wear sunglasses indoors sometimes if I don't have good blinds. And Blinds Galore has so many beautiful options for you. They believe you deserve high-quality, custom-built blinds and shades, and that is exactly what you will get from them. This is more than just a blinds aisle in a hardware store, which is overwhelming and not that meaningful, right? You ever walk through there? You don't know what to pick. These guys are blinds experts. Nothing will get made until you order it and they make that super easy. They've got it all. They've got blinds, shades, shutters, drapery, whatever you want. The experts at blindsgalore.com have covered over 2 million windows and counting, and they will make it easy to get a completely custom product that you'll love, a designer product without the designer price. It's a family-owned and run company, been doing this for over 20 years, led by a mom-daughter duo that truly wants you to love your view. And you can do it all from the comfort of your couch. First, you get off your couch, you take the measurements of your window, and and then you go to blindsgalore.com to customize it all. You will see exactly how your blind or shade will look in your window on the screen before you buy, and they'll make it super easy after the fact to connect your shades to your smart home, to your phone, or to your Amazon Alexa. What are you waiting for? It's easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home at Blinds Galore. Get started with 15 free samples and take up to 45% off your order. Hello, 45. 
Visit BlindsGalore.com today and let them know I sent you by choosing The Megan Kelly Show at checkout. Beautiful, custom window treatments are waiting for you at BlindsGalore.com. That's BlindsGalore.com. So what happens with the angry Trump voters when we presume that goes forward, right? When it gets certified, Joe Biden is officially declared the winner. What happens with these really angry Trump voters? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what happens necessarily. Um, we we they can't we can't ignore people's frustrations, um, which is why I say we have to shift the conversation towards we need to fix our systems. Um, th- this is why I'm so. I'm so concerned with this in particular, you know, four out of five Americans believe we should have voter ID laws, four out of five. Um, We should also have the ability for our our registration systems to talk to each other, ascertain whether somebody is double registered somewhere or is is not a citizen of this country. Um, We should be severely limiting um, unreliable mail-in ballots uh, for, for the reasons I stated earlier. I would give out another number. 550,000 uh, ballots were rejected in just the 2020 presidential primaries. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's enormous amounts of ballots. Why are we using this system? Why? And again, right. I gave, there's only two reasons that could be. Okay, The election official did the right thing. The election official did the wrong thing. Either way, it's a bad system. 550,000 yeah. uh, mail-in ballots. Um, and, the, it, and to say that there's... The left likes to 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 breeze over this issue and say, "Well, there's no widespread systemic election fraud." Okay, well, now define widespread because because we can go example after example of actual election fraud. Um, you know, social worker was charged with 134 counts of election fraud on November 6 in Texas. There's a Michigan man facing felony charges for voter fraud. That's here. That's just uh, this last month in November in Georgia. They're investigating groups that are encouraging voter fraud, trying to get out of state individuals to vote. Like, okay, so it happens, it happens. And when it happens even once or twice, um, even if it doesn't change the outcome of an election, it creates distrust in the system, which is a threat to democracy in and of itself. So these voters' concerns have to be addressed. Um, And and we've, and we, and and the Republican Party has to, I I think, be leaders on this, right? But we, and we have to walk that line, I think, of, 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 of addressing their concerns without without maybe without giving into some of the more extreme statements. Well, you know what we're seeing too. I've been noticing in this past month where Trump's been filing these legal challenges is we don't know how widespread the voter fraud is. He's been kicking the tires, and some mud has been falling off. And if he had the chance, you know, the way these things work out, there's a very short amount of time from the vote to the inauguration. Whereas in a normal litigation, this kind of thing would go on for a year or more where you'd have the chance to ferret out your claim, to do discovery. There's no such opportunity and probably for good reason, because we don't want to live in limbo like that forever. But, you know, he is finding some some numbers that are disturbing. And so I am more skeptical than ever of, you know, these Democrats in the media, MSNBC anchors are constantly like, oh, these crazy Republicans who are constantly mentioning voter fraud. There's never been any proof of widespread voter fraud. It's like, well, you know what? It's almost impossible to get it done in the time that's allotted by law. But Trump's all on assault here has given me concern. I mean, has it given you concern? Yeah, well, but I've had this concern for a long time. This is, this is uh, you know, for those of us who, who spend time looking at this, this is nothing new. I, I've, I've long I've long said that our that our 
our process is, is not good. In some states, it's not good. Um, if, if we all copied the, the process of Florida, Texas, where we know the, the outcome of the election and, and people seem to be pretty happy with it, um, on election night, we would, we would be in a much better place. Yes. So it's not like we don't have models to, to look to um, and, and to learn from. And, and just just make this right. So you know, it doesn't surprise me that when you start to peel back the onion a little bit, you're, you're going to find things. And, and the left is so disingenuous about this because it's like, well, you could argue that there's there's no illicit goods trafficked into the United States if you just never check the cargo, right? right. You can be like, well, there's nothing. There's no evidence of it. It's like, well, you didn't check. <laughs> you you actually have to open up the trunk or or or, or check or, or check the cargo container. Um, if you don't actually look at anything um, and there's no process to do that and, and no process of verification, then I suppose you could always claim that everything's just just fine and just dandy. But of, but of course, mm-hmm. this is too important to just to just to just leave it be. Um, our, our processes have to be better. So the GOP is having a little bit of, um, you know, this internal not war. I think that's too strong, but there's definitely some factions within the party, the more MAGA devotee party piece of the party and then the more sort of general Republicans. But so is the Democratic Party. Uh, And you've got the AOC wing of the party versus the more moderate. You know, we're told that's more the the Biden wing of the party. And I know you've you've had some dust ups with her, including on Twitter just in the past couple of days where, you know, she likes to play the victim a lot, a lot. And Mm -hmm. you're actually kind of fun because you're always calling her out on it. And then what I notice is if she if she makes a false claim of victimhood and you call her out on it, then she reacts as a victim in response to your latest tweet. Like your latest tweet has made her yet another victim. Like it's just a never ending cycle of how mean you are and how yeah. victimized she is. And, you know, the, the Republicans writ large are awful because of something you said in response to her. You know, it's like, so what do you think of her and her, her approach to social media and messaging? Hmm. She's a skilled rhetoricist. Um, is that a word? I think it is. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> um, good. you know she she's good at this kind of juvenile argumentation, but it is juvenile, um, and it 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 is it is always it it is always below the belt. It's it's never honest. It's always um, it's always a misconstruing of words, which is honestly why I, I rarely interact with her. Um, you know, I was surprised. Know her? Well, I mean, I, I see her occasionally. I've been we sort of know each we've met right in freshman orientation um yeah. in the halls of congress like you don't if you're not working on a committee with people you actually don't interact with them very much um and so you know i wouldn't say we we know each other um and and and, and much much more than um occasional Passing. interactions but um yeah it was strange to kind of see her come at me for that one I, I think she'd just been taking a lot of heat for those silly comments that she'd been making all week about how republicans are just a bunch of a bunch of old guys in leather back chairs that would go crying if they ever had to to deal with a with a hard order as a as working as a waiter it was just so out of touch and so silly so it's the it's the buzzards of uh that, that are going off here in the in the office um they want you to vote no not yet not yet, but soon. Um, I, I still have not um, actually figured out the the coding of, of what these buzzers mean. It's, it's quite <laughs> confusing. Um, Next term. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so she she basically said Republicans like to make fun of the fact that I used to be a waitress, which it's like, it's like who no, specifically? Don't. I know. No, like, what is she talking about? She likes to use that as a as yeah. a shield. 
And, and that's what I mean. Like when, when she misconstrues what people say deliberately to make, to make her seem like a victim. It's like, no, we were not making fun of your dancing. We were not making fun of you being a waitress, right? That that's, that's, that's nobody's made fun of that at all. Um, you know, I'm not exactly what people even even say about it, but it's it's usually it's usually something about like, well, you're not qualified because you didn't do this, this, or this. You know, maybe maybe that would be it, but um, but nobody's ever making fun of that. But she's and, dying and then, for you too. She's she wants you to so badly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I I think so. And it was just, but but that's those specific comments were just so out of touch because it's like you know, there's multiple members of Congress on the Republican side missing body parts. So it's, it, you know, it's to say that we just don't know hardship and, and, you know, there's multiple business owners, multiple people who have like who have real life experiences. And for you to just dismiss that, it just, it just shows how out of touch she is truly and how mm-hmm. insulting she is all the time. And that playing the victim thing, like she, she really embodies sort of the worst uh, stereotypes of the millennial generation and make give really give it us a bad name. And I wish she'd stop. Yeah, because she she comes out with Republicans make fun of the fact that I used to be a waitress. But we all know if they ever had to do a double, they'd be the ones found crying in the walk in fridge halfway through their first shift because someone yelled at them for bringing seltzer when they wanted sparkling. And you you accurately responded with something to the effect of these people are nuts. People like AOC who believe the the biggest hardship in life was figuring out whether still or sparkling and you don't know hardship till you cried in the back. They, they don't understand. And and, you know, they, they haven't suffered in the mountains of Af- Afghanistan like you and your buddies. And then she responds. Good to know how little you truly think of food workers at Dan Crenshaw. I mean, that's my point. It's like she just finds a way. I am still the victim. You are still the oppressor. I will find a way. I mean, that's that's the underlying ideology of, of, of the left, right? This sort of hierarchy of victims. So, you know, once, once you understand their sort of social justice way of, of framing every argument, um, their, their arguments can be pretty predictable. She, she's just a little bit better at it and, and more aggressive about it than, than most members of the left. And I think that's why she's popular over there. Um, mm-hmm. But it really, it really is about elevating that victimhood as a virtue. How do you see that playing out in the Democratic Party over the next four years, that her wing, which really is woke and annoying versus the more moderate liberals who are, you know, farther away from her left wing ideology than she would like? Yeah, I I don't envy, um, you know, the older wing of the Democrats, the more moderate wing of the Democrats, whatever you might call them. Um, They're they're in an impossible situation and there's fewer and fewer of them. Let's just be honest. It's it's. uh, it's harder and harder to argue that the Democrat Party is the working class party. The you know the old Labor Party is 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 maybe what we could have called the Democrat Party you know, decades ago. That just doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Um, you know, typical union workers are are not voting Democrat because the Democrat culture has become so extreme and and left them and left them behind. Um, it's uh, you know just because you support union bosses. It uh, doesn't mean you're necessarily supporting the union worker, um, and that's that's a pretty important distinction. So uh, the, the other thing is, and when you look at the divisions on the right, um, you know, let's say with the Freedom Caucus and everybody else, those divisions are more a matter of style. Oftentimes, say the Freedom Caucus likes to use procedural obstruction to to fight the Democrats. Everybody else a little bit less so. You know, a lot of Republicans are more inclined to take incremental win and um, be some, you know, and maybe and maybe 
other Republicans are not right. They, they, they want to make big statements, big grandiose statements, big wins. But fundamentally, I don't see a whole lot of difference in, in, in values and political philosophies and, and policy differences. And the left is very different. The, the left is, is, is radically uh, divided because progressivism is, well, it's about progress, right? And the, and the progress of ideas. Um, so that means radical change just for the sake of change itself. You can't be progressing if you're not changing. And, um, and so it's, it, it was always inevitable that well-intentioned liberalism would end up in this sort of totalitarian socialism. Because if well-intentioned liberalism is, is you know, helping people, I just, want, I just want to help people, I just want to have another program, you know, tax people a little bit more because I want to, want to help the poor. This is well-intentioned liberalism, let, let's call it. I think it might be a little bit naive. I, I, think, it's, um, I, think, it, I think it ignores trade-offs and policymaking. But fine, let's call it well-intentioned liberalism. You can respectfully disagree with it and find balance. But if you always need to provide people more services, then you always need more power to provide those services. And to get more power, you need more government control and you need more redistribution of wealth. And you end up in a place that looks a lot like socialism eventually. Um, and then you, you you put on top of that sort of the woke ideology, the cultural woke ideology that that has bubbled up underneath it. You've got a pretty toxic mix over there um, that's gone beyond Marxism. And, and, and it's like Marxism combined with with crazy identity politics and and other and other postmodern ideas um, where nothing is real. There is no truth, only yours and and whatever the whims of the, the current progressive you know, bandwagon is, it's, it's a scary place to navigate. Um, and I don't envy them. And, and it's only getting stronger, I would say. So, so in, here in Congress, um, more of those kinds of members won and more of the moderate members lost. And um, that'll probably be the case in, uh, in the next election too. How big a factor do you think these COVID shutdowns are uh, to our politics right now and, and going forward? Because even though, thank God we have a vaccine coming, uh, people are sick of it. And we could very much be looking at several months more of these draconian lockdowns in places like LA, we're already seeing it, you know, meanwhile, coupled with the hypocrisy of what in every case has been a Democrat leader of one of these cities with the do as I say, not as I do messaging, you know, the guy in Austin, you know, you're, you're a Texan, uh, the mayor of Austin saying, don't leave your house from his vacation home in Cabo, in Cabo. Um, the L.A. mayor, the uh, the San Jose mayor, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, they all break the rules while they're lecturing the rest of us. And, and separate and apart from the hypocrisy, just the draconian nature of the lockdown, I think, has really motivated a lot of workers who may typically have been Democrat supporters to rethink what is best for them. Should they be putting utter faith? in government knowing best, whether it's Fauci or the orders of the lockdowns to, quote, keep us safe. You know, how much power do we want to give to these government officials and seed in our own lives? Yeah, it is. This is a subject I've been um, pretty consistent about. I, I never believed that lockdowns uh, were the answer, not not past, you know, the first two weeks. Um, and the data and the history has proven me right on this. They, plenty of studies now show that they they just don't make the difference that you think they make. Um, huge amounts of costs with very little benefit, and I think for the most part, people understand that at, at this point. Um, so it's it's mind blowing to see a lot of these, and they're always Democrats. 
um, for whatever reason, the, the Democrat disposition is more inclined to, um, to believe that any cost is worth it, right. To, to keep you safe. And, um, we could do a long analysis of, of, of why that is, of, of why they believe that. Um, but I, but I, but to your question, I, I, yeah, I, I think it has flipped some people, um, maybe, maybe red pilled them a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. enough to really change the nature of elections in these cities. Um, unfortunately not because it's the, that the cost of these lockdowns is unfortunately still borne by a few, um, almost entirely small business owners and, uh, the people who work there. And, um, you know, the, the, the other, the other bad news I'll give you is when we kind of look at this in polling and surveys, people don't even necessarily like they're, they're upset about the lockdowns, but they don't necessarily attach it to their politics. This this might blow your mind and it blows my mind, but but um, you know you have to understand that reg regular people are not soaking up politics all the time. Um, you know they're they're just trying to make a buck. No, I know that's true, but I know you know here in New York we started off, for example, with these people were so in love with Governor Cuomo they were calling themselves Cuomo sexuals, and <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the so <weird>. way <laughs> welcome to New York. <laughs> um, the way people have seen him behave since then has really changed a lot of opinions here, not the diehard Democrats, but people, I don't know that it's going to change their party affiliation, but I do think his partisanship has, has shined through in a way that, you know, ex extended exposure will do. But that is interesting that it doesn't tend to be a political motivator. Maybe if we were still in lockdowns and we didn't have vaccine, would have played a bigger role. Um, so what, you know, what do you think? we're going to do over the next few months because we are seeing increased lockdowns and we have a, there's a soundbite. It's a woman named Angela Marsden and she was from the uh, pineapple Hill saloon and grill in Sherman Oaks, California. And she's disgusted. She, she's ticked off because she's got to close her restaurant. Meanwhile, the movie business with its trailers is right next door feeding people here. Here it is. I'm losing everything. Everything I own is being taken away from me. And they set up a movie company right next to my outdoor patio, which is right over here. And people wonder why I'm protesting and why I have had enough. <laughs> they have not given us money and they have shut us down. We cannot survive, my staff cannot survive. Tell me that this is dangerous, but right next to me as a slap in my face, this is dangerous. Mayor Garcetti and Gavin Newsom is responsible for every single person that doesn't have unemployment, that does not have a job, and all the businesses that are going under. And we need your help. We need somebody to do something about this. Hmm. What would you say to her? Well, you know, I keep fighting back. Um, you know, I, I shared her video as well. Um, it, it really is heartbreaking. Um, it's this is I've been pounding I've been pounding this issue for a very long time, um, encouraging businesses to band together, um, file lawsuits against your local government. Um, I, I I think that should be the next action, and um, because th this is th this is becoming about survival at, at this point. So th this is serious, um, and it's 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 really heartbreaking. I I, I I'm just I'm, I'm kind of at a loss to see how, how does this not affect. Mayor Garcetti more. How does he just not care at all? And all, and he doesn't have to do anything except less. All he has to do is do less. That's all we're asking to do. Yeah. I mean, yep. it, it's the easiest solution you can think of. Just do less. 
just stop. But you know what he would say. Hurting. He would say it's about saving lives. He'd say, you know, it's just a temporary thing. We've all got to do our part. We've got to bend the curve. we got to think about the older people. And um, if that requires some sacrifice short term, so be it. Right. Yeah, because th- these people... And so I said before, we could go into a long discussion about, about sort of the wiring of somebody's brain and like why they think that way. Um, and so you have to understand that liberals, liberals um, emphasize certain moral, moral priorities much more than conservatives do. Um, I'm going to reference Jonathan Haidt's work on this, where if you have five moral pillars, you know, one would be say caring kindness, another would be fairness, another would be authority, sense of order, another would be um, purity, uh, sense of sanctity. Um, I think I'm missing one, but but you kind of get the idea. Um, liberals really mostly only care about the caring and kindness um, to, to, the, to the point where there is no balance at all, where it's, which is why they can say with total sincerity, if it saves one life, it shows that I care the most and none of these other trade-offs matter because I saved a life, right? So they, they believe honestly that they're being compassionate, um, but they're blinded and their, their own disposition completely blinds them to the consequences of their actions. Um, and they can moralize over you and, 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 and tell you that they're your moral better because of it, because they operate in this sort of psychological disposition that is so out of balance. We'll have more with Dan in just one minute, especially on victimhood and how we all need to adopt something closer to the mentality of a Navy SEAL. The country and we would be much better off. So we'll get into that in one second. But first, I want to go from Dan to Jan, specifically Jan Marini Skin Research. Now, this is a recognized leader and innovator in skincare. They make beautiful skincare products. It's one of the fastest growing professional skincare brands in recent years. I myself gave them a try. And let me tell you, They're amazing. First of all, very beautiful, sleek, elegant packaging. Second of all, I love the fact that there was no odor, no scent. You know how sometimes people are trying to please you with all this scented product? I can't stand that. If it's got a scent, I don't use it. And it went on smoothly. It didn't have a film. It didn't make my face feel tight. Um, I thought it was beautiful. I really loved the neck cream. That was the best. Felt like I was taking years off my next life. Nice and creamy, not too oily, didn't leave me shiny, the stuff that I put on my face, so I could go on. Anyway, give it a try. It's a five-step daily system. Cleanse, rejuvenate, resurface, hydrate, and protect. And their skincare management system has been awarded 10 consecutive years by New Beauty Magazine as the best skincare system for aging skin. And let's face it, who doesn't have that? We all have aging skin. I don't care how old you are. In fact, Jan Marini Skincare Research has earned more beauty awards from New Beauty than any other skincare company. Jan Marini offers a wide range of other retail products, including for dark eye circles. What? (laughs) Who? What? Who says what? Anyway, dark eye circles, signs of the aging neck. We've covered that. Uh, Appearance of cellulite. Wow, it's getting personal. And I'm now realizing I didn't get all the products I needed in the trial. Jan, (laughs) what? Asking for a friend. And even aging hands. (laughs) The products are hydrating, they're calming, and they've got numerous clinical studies conducted by leading dermatologists. So check it out. You can get it at med spas, aesthetic offices and spas throughout the country, or just go to Jan Marini, J-A-N-M-A-R-I-N-I dot com 
to find locations near you or to purchase direct from their website. Plus, they've got a bunch of great holiday offerings available and always with two-day free shipping. Transform your skin with Jan Marini. And now, before we get back to Dan, I want to bring you a feature we call here Sound Up here on The Megan Kelly Show. Uh, this is where we play you some notable sound from the news. And today, we're going to check in with two of the voices the media loves most when it comes to COVID. Can you guess who I mean? Governor Andrew Cuomo, who we just mentioned not long ago, and Anthony Fauci. Fresh off of his International Emmy Award for excellent TV presentation, Governor Andrew Cuomo spent some time this week interviewing Dr. Fauci, right? He's like really leaning into the TV thing. I guess he sees his term as governor. You know, it's going to come to a close. Eventually, he wants to do what his brother does now, wants to be a TV star. So he's interviewing Dr. Fauci. The two guys were talking about vaccines and how to promote the safety of the vaccines to the public when the discussion veered into very weird territory. Listen. We'll do an ad telling New Yorkers it's safe to take the vaccine to, uh, to you know, put us together. We're like the uh, modern day uh, De Niro and Pacino. You can be which whenever, whichever you want. You can be the De Niro or Pacino. <laughs> Fauci and Cuomo, I'll give you a fun boy. Who, who do you want to be, De Niro or Pacino? Which one do you want I to be? I love them both. <laughs> you... I love them both. I don't want to insult one or the other. If I say one, I don't want to hurt the feelings of the other. Yeah. So Who's the politician? <laughs> All right, last question. I know you're down in Washington. You're doing great duty, but I know you miss New York. Uh, what? We want to figure out what to send you from Christmas for Christmas. What? food do you miss the most that you can't get down there that you could get if you were back here in New York and Brooklyn? You know, Governor, whenever I need some comfort food and I dream back of my days in the Bensonhurst section of Brooklyn, the thing that comes to my mind are two things, a nice Nathan hot dog and a really steaming pastrami sandwich. <laughs> that would be really great. <laughs> All right, so no cannolis, no meatballs, no... <laughs> Nathan's out there. I don't want to overdo it. Yeah. I don't want to overstay my welcome. I'll take them all. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. Can I just say on behalf of my friend Janice Dean, OMG, I just find that gross. I actually, I'll give Fauci a pass. He's the interview subject, so if the host takes it to a place of levity, you go there. But Governor Cuomo, there's a reason you're not an anchor, because you need to, as a news anchor, show sensitivity to the audience and what they might be going through on a really difficult subject. It's not to say you could never have a moment of levity, but given the fact that we've had, we're, we've set the record in New York for deaths, maybe he shouldn't be joking all the time with his brother, with a giant Q-tip, with Fauci about pastrami. I've had it with this guy. Um, of course, the media won't care. They won't cover it. They won't say anything about it. It's it's up to my friend, the meteorologist, to keep shining a light on Governor Cuomo sending 6,000 positive patients, COVID positive patients into nursing homes here in New York, something he's never apologized for and never taken responsibility for. And we had between six, maybe as many as 20,000 uh, elderly people die as a result. No responsibility. Oh, but he's Robert De Niro. He's closer to Fredo. He's like his brother, little Fredo's. Double Fredo, twin Fredos. That's what I think of the Cuomo brothers. I'm a little tired of their shtick. And now, back to Dan Crenshaw. It's interesting to hear you talk about the left because I think it's not necessarily a leftist thing, but I do think there's a fair, um, there's a greater amount of people on the left who enjoy drama 
right? Who sort of enjoy crisis in a way that a lot of Republicans might not lean into. The and I think theatrics, yeah, yeah. And I think you, as a as a Navy SEAL, I mean, you you've got to be looking at this. I see it in some of your tweets, like you know, calling out AOC for like, oh, please don't talk to me about hardship. You know that the seals. What I know of the seals, and I've been to a lot of benefits for them over the years, and love the seals. But they don't quit. They don't do weakness, and they they believe that winning is a mindset. And the last thing they would lean into is drama or victimhood, even when they have been victims. You know, like you're a guy who had his eye shot out by an IED. I've never once heard you play the victim. To the contrary. So what? I mean, talk about mindset and its importance in, in life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a choice really. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's no secret to, to, I think thinking that way and what, you know, what, what you alluded to on the left is what I think really, really comes down to is emotional manipulation. They, they, they're skilled at this and and they know that to connect with somebody uh, on a deeper level and gain their support, um, they need to engage in some kind of emotional manipulation and connect on an emotional level as opposed to a, to a rational level. Um, and, and it can work uh, f- fairly well. And what I talk about oftentimes is, okay, how, how do you how do you shield yourself from that, right? And how do you how do you um, how do you operate with a with a better sense of stillness, where you, where you where you where you you know, let's just let's just go back to an, an old lesson: count that your mother taught you, count to ten before you react. Um, how do you not react to that headline? And it takes practice. Um, how, how do you how do you first say to yourself, I wonder if there's more to this story? I wonder if there's trade-offs to what they're telling me. I wonder if the 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 hyper emotional theatric performance from this politician is meant to cover for the fact that they don't have a lot of good ideas to tell you. You know, mm. are people are people substituting um uh passion for sophistication? And and are we rewarding that? And we do it on the right too. Like we, we absolutely do it on the right as, as well. I think it happens a lot. I think it, it's more mainstream on the left, but, um, but, you know, we could think of plenty of examples that are trying to emotionally manipulate you, get you to be angry, get you to follow them as a result. We have to shield ourselves from that kind of emotional manipulation. Um, it's, it's, you do not have your best interests in mind and it makes us unhappier. You know, so and so it's it, it, there's I don't know that there's a huge amount, a lot of secrets to being that way. But I think the first step is to simply acknowledge that 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 this is what people are trying to do to you, um, that this is the world we live in. Um, and you acknowledge that and you choose to be more still um, in, in the face of that chaos. Would, would you say you personally went into the seals with that attitude or the seals did it to you? Oh, it's definitely a mix. It's a mix. Like we often say, you know, you were a seal before you got here, but we had to make you prove it and then give you some skill sets that you didn't have before. Um, if you, the only way you make it through the seal teams uh, is with this sort of, this sort of mind, this winning mindset, you know, I call it a no plan B mindset. Like I never, I never had a choice to quit. And so mm-hmm. if you go into training like buds um, with, with a, with an, with this notion that, well, I, I'm going to do my best. And if I make it, I make it. And if, and if I, if I don't, I don't, but I'm going to do my best. You're going to, you're not, you're going to, you're going to lose. You're going to quit. Um, because <laughs> you gave yourself a choice, right? <laughs> it's like, um, because y- y- your, your body will break, you will fail. Um, and it will be, it will be much harder than you thought. But if you go into it, like, 
well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to die or I'm going to make it. It's one of the two. <laughs> um, uh, then, then you'll make it. Now, of course, that, that, that's not everybody. Sometimes you just, you're not a good enough swimmer, right? You're just not good at certain skills and you get dropped that way. But it's not because you quit. Okay. You might not have met a standard, but it's not because you quit. Um, and we lose the most guys because they quit. We will try to help people through skill sets. Um, if, if they have shown that they are tougher than nails and there is nothing on this earth that will make them quit, we will work with them to get their swim times up and get their running better, uh, whatever it takes so that they can, they can meet those uh, skill set thresholds. I just feel like we've gotten away from any semblance of that as a society. The SEALs I know believe the only limits you have are self-imposed. And just, you know, if you can get to that winning mindset, like I, the, the guys, you know, I, I go to this benefit for these guys and, and they, they're saying is say, I can't, you know, they're inspired by you doubting them. Like they can't wait to shove it down your throat. And these mm -hmm. are guys who have had, you know, their faces blown up. Um, it, it only makes them more emboldened. And then I look at like these losers with their thumbs on their keyboard, trying to get people you know, fired or their university admission pulled over one stupid comment. And I think, oh my God, it's, are these even the same species of being <laughs> like, there's nothing in common. And, and my, one of my big quandaries right now, Dan, is how do we get more people into the seal like mentality and out of the other mentality? Because it really is having a negative effect on the country. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is why I wrote a whole book about this. Um, yeah, I love so, it. It's called fortitude. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, I have a lot of lessons in there. Um, gain a sense of perspective, right? And a lot of this is conscious. You, you have to consciously embark upon these lessons, right? Gain a sense of perspective. Remind yourself every once in a while that that um, no matter how hard you have it, somebody else has had it harder and they dealt with better, dealt with it better than you're dealing with it now. That's a pretty hard truth, but it's an objectively true statement. Um, Understand that even uh, some somebody on I, I saw this kind of on, on Twitter. I think it was Michael Tracy. He was like, he was like making fun of people who were calling 2020 the worst year ever. And it's like, eh, it's not the worst year ever. You know, and if we're gonna go through a pandemic, it's by far the best year to ever have been going through a pandemic, given given that we we created a vaccine in less than a year, um, that we have the the, the we have we do have the best medical system, the best ability to deal with this um than anybody else in the world. Um you know, it's if you're working from home and, and watching too much Tiger King, I mean, you know, it's not the worst <laughs> year. It's, it's, an, it's a crappy year, but it's not it's not the worst. We need to just understand that. We need to understand that that people have had it worse and dealt with things better. So a matter of perspective is, is really important. Um, let's say other thing, you know, here's a more practical way to, to get better. Um, do hard things like challenge yourself. Um, I'm not saying go through buds. But um, challenge That's yourself. That's the SEAL that, training program. Yeah, um, but cha challenge yourself in a way that that is harder than something you did yesterday. And, and you know, this builds mental calluses, physical calluses, um, and and this makes you makes you better. But 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 ultimately, what what America needs, what America is founded on, what any free enterprise society is founded on, whatever when, whatever free democracy is founded upon, is some sense of ordered liberty which means personal responsibility, because you cannot be free if you're not personally responsible. Um, you, you, you cannot have a, a liberty-minded society with a bunch of people that believe that somebody else is responsible for them. 
you know, and, and, and the way that the Marxists and the socialists eventually get you to believe in their policies is they first have to attack that cultural underpinning of personal responsibility. Because as soon as they've done that, if they, as soon as they've made you feel like the victim. So, so why does AOC constantly hit the victimhood thing? Right. Because that culture, that's a cultural necessity for her to sell her policy ideas, for her to sell her power to you. She has to make you feel like a victim because only she can save you. Right. Because she has she 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 pulls the strings of government and now she can she can make that other person be responsible for you because their wealth is ill begotten. And you need and the, you need you need somebody to take it from them and give it to you. So you see how important this is and you see why they attack it so much. And we have to remember that the only people that are responsible for our own lives are ourselves. Um, we have to remember a sense of we have to reinculcate a sense of duty into our citizenry. Um, a sense of duty to you know, be on time, do the job, even if you hate it. Um, which, you know, that's a quote from from my book. My staff uh, always reminds me of it every time I complain about a meeting that I have, which is very annoying. And I so I had to make a rule in my office where they're not allowed to repeat my my own words back to me. Um, but, <laughs> Never but, quote me to me. Yeah, don't don't do that. You're fired. Um, and so, uh, but you get the idea, right? Like mm-hmm. inculcating a sense of citizenry, I think is, is, is a lost art and, uh, we, we need it now more than ever. You're, I mean, you're, you are literally the polar opposite of this woman. You and she have, I probably almost nothing in common. I, yeah, she's, she's, she's playing the victim because she thinks wrongly someone made fun of her being a waitress, which by the way, even if they did, who cares? Get over it. It's life. People will mock you. Grow up. Um, but she, you know, so that's her. And then reading your book, you do talk very openly about when you were hit by the IED in Iraq. You did five five tours of duty. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and is it true that two of them were after your eye was blown up? Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, they weren't combat tours, but uh, yeah, so I, I did two tours in Iraq and then my third in Afghanistan, I was hurt in 2012 and then uh, went back to the Middle East in 2014, um, worked in uh, throughout the Middle East, but mostly Bahrain and um, and then my last uh, last tour in, in South Korea. But so, the very fact that I you're fought, playing it down. <laughs> yeah, well, I fought the system pretty hard. We're trying, trying, trying to stay in. Um, so I never... I never wanted to end up where I'm at now. Um, we, we, me and my wife had always planned on at least 20 years in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you moved to that lovely bastion called Congress and finally found the respect you just, Oh wait, no, no, that yeah. <laughs> that's, not how, yeah. that's not how that works at all. I mean, you went from one form of combat to another, but, uh, you know, they may be trying to steal your soul, but they don't want your eye. <laughs> You know, you talk about it so matter of factly, your time when the IED and and when you got blown up. Are you kind of over that? Do you feel like you're over the trauma of that event? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm blessed um, in, in that respect. Uh, I, 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 well, my wife would probably have a, have a different answer for that. But but I don't feel like um, I don't feel now like like i have any kind of remnants of ptsd from it i I think i did for a while um but uh no i i I don't i don't dwell on it uh very much i'm I'm just i'm extremely grateful frankly for um for what i can see it's it's an absolute miracle that i can see it all out of my left eye um you know there's a lot of adaptation that occurs people people just see me as i am right now so they 
they wrongfully assume that there's there's not serious vision issues. Um, and uh, it, it always strikes me as odd, like it, 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 how, how willing people are in politics to always make fun of the eye. It's like you don't make fun of anybody else's missing body parts. Like if somebody loses a leg or or a or an arm, you, you notice that's like off limits. But for some reason, the eye thing, and this is, by the way, more, again, this is, this happens more with conservatives, right? Again, that, that crazy right wing, that, that crazy wing that we talked about that pretends to be MAGA supporters, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens a lot more with them than it does the left. I would just, I would just point out. Um, they're, they're, they're mocking. I mean, I remember the Pete Davidson thing on SNL, but that, of course, he was, he's no Republican. But what do you yeah. mean? People are mocking your... Oh yeah, You're they're vicious. They're, they're, they're vicious and disgusting about it. Um, you know, so it, it's just kind of odd. I, I guess I'm, I'm noting it because what's interesting is that they they'll, they'll never do it to somebody without a leg or an arm. Um, there's something about yeah. eye, like something about like oh, it's fine, it's not. But anyway, um, it's well, just, I don't know. Maybe like the other thing is, I will say the eye patch is kind of cool. It could be a form of envy. You know, like there's something that it kind of takes you to the next level of badass when you have an eye patch. Well, well, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think I would say that a lot of these groipers are probably incels. So yeah, they might be envious. Well, to your original question, um, no, I, I, which was a serious one. Um, yeah, I, I'm blessed to feel like, uh, like I've gotten over it, but you know, I'm still, I'm still constantly getting fitted for different glasses so I can see this computer that I'm looking at right now properly. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have a, I have a cataract in my eye that can't be fixed. Um, I have a, I have an iris that cannot open and close. So like, I, I can't be outside in the sun without sunglasses. Um, when I take out my contact, which only one company makes properly in the world, um, you know, I've got to wear the lenses that are a quarter inch thick to see anything at all. So, and then, you know, I've got like no, no field of view or, or depth perception. So it's, um, it just takes adaptation, but, but I've never, I, I've always felt, um, a real strong, um, community support uh the seal teams are very tightly knit and like that and um yep you know so it's uh i i I don't dwell on it well i know you you wrote in your book you chose not to be bitter and it is a choice a hundred percent i can i can i haven't been through anything like what you've been through but i i know grief and loss and pain and i do think that there's a moment where you can feel it creeping up inside your throat bitterness and you, you do have to make a choice whether you're going to surrender to that and or whether you're going to reject it and, and not shove it back down, but just get it out of you. Just get just reject it. You know, you, you can do that. It's it's a conscious choice. And you you've had to do it repeatedly. I mean, you, you had the IED attack and you write very openly and heart wrenchingly about the loss of your mom when you were only 10. And I can tell you as the mother of three children, that was rough just to read. I can't imagine. I mean, she she died of breast cancer when you were just a little boy. And um, I was reading, you know, the following excerpt. I just want the audience to know you, you write because you knew she was dying. It was a five-year process. And you write, going from kindergarten to fourth grade, knowing that your mother's dying, that the center of a small boy's world is collapsing, is an experience I wouldn't wish on anyone. But from this grief came learning. I got to experience the nature of a true hero. And the example she set was the most powerful, I'm going to cry just reading this, a fortifying and selfless thing I have ever seen, including in combat. That is so beautiful. And I wonder if your how your mom would feel if she could read that, Dan. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like to think that she, that she does and she feels that, um, you know, that she, that she's still with me as sort of a guardian angel. Um, I've always believed that. Um, and, and I meant every word, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, restructuring history to, you know, for the sake of the, those, those words, um, that, that really was her. Um, I never, and if there was ever any self-pity and I, I never noticed it, you know, I, and it was, she, she never exposed it to us. And, um, it was, she was really a model, um, to look, to look up to. Um, and, uh, I do think that's, that's probably where I get that mindset, uh, from mm-hmm. and in a sense of perspective from the other thing I write about there is, okay, when things are, you know, because <laughs> I was basically, um, unable to move in a hospital bed. And you're like, this is a pretty bad situation right now. I'm blind. Doctors don't think I'll, I'll see again. Um, and I would continue to be blind for weeks, um, until some miracle surgeries, but it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you know who also had some hardships, like my own mom and, uh, she got through it, um, until the very end. And, uh, so suck it up. Right. Wow. I, and I think, you know, and, and that's, you have to tell yourself that it's, you know, and it always feels better to be a victim. It always feels better to be better and to blame somebody else for it. And again, easily, easy to blame somebody, somebody else for, for, you know, you know, the, the decisions I made that day that, that I got blown up on or, or other people's decisions, um, that led us to that, to that moment. I, I really could make arguments for a lot of blame to go around, Yeah. but then what, but this, and, 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 and I would, it would be rational arguments by the way. But, but there's kind of no point to it. <laughs> like there's, it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's no, very disempowering. It, it's extremely disempowering. Um, and there's way too much of that right now. Uh, we, it's, it's almost the default position for us in our politics these days. And we just have to stop. We have to make a conscious decision to stop. Um, it's, it's, it's really tearing our country apart. Do you think you'd be a Navy SEAL if your mom hadn't died? Uh, probably, maybe. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to know. Um, if you if you mess with the uh, with the strands of time, well, the butterfly effect. What what often happens? But um, I think so. You know, the it, it's maybe I would have been a better seal. Honestly, I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, I yeah, I kind of got the the idea came as I uh, got into a book. I was like ten or eleven, twelve. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but um. And uh, I just never let go of that dream. So having my mom around just might have made it easier. I don't know. So what was harder, Hell Week or becoming a member of Congress and trying to get anything done? Oh, I, I think Congress is, is much harder. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, obviously in a totally different way. Uh, but, you know, it's um, there's a much bigger weight up here in Congress. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it's in, in hell week, you're, you know, you're, you're focused on, on that task at hand. It's not, it's not easy. Um, but, uh, there's, there's a lot at stake up here. Um, it's important. And, uh, there's a lot of anger and division in the country right now. Um, and you've got to walk that balance the best you can. So it's, uh, (laughs) it's, but it's worth it, right? Hard, hard things are worth it. You know, there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of good fulfilling things out there that are easy. 
Um, that's that's sort of another lesson that I like to, to promote, which is again, it kind of it's a it's the deeper lesson behind when I say do something difficult and challenging and hard, um, because no good thing comes easily, and uh, it, it would be good to remind ourselves of that. So, last question: You are very young, very young, but you have finally made it over the age at which one may become president in the United States. You're 36, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. you made it past 35. Congratulations. Um, and so that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, is that is that an aspiration either in 2024 or beyond? Because you are super popular uh, amongst Republicans and I think amongst reasonable liberals. They get, they're open-minded to you. Yeah, maybe no time soon. I'll say that. Um, you know, I've got, I mean, I'm, I am, as you noted, but I'm pretty young. Um, and I've got plenty of time, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not in a hurry to, to move on to, to something. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm focused on this job. I mean, I'm focused on my second term, you know, um, and, and getting on the committees I want and, uh, and working for the district right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, no, no plans anytime soon. <laughs> I'll say that. You're, you're a good representative in many ways for the city of Houston and the people who live there. They always speak sense. Houstonians are sensible people. If I if I weren't born in the Northeast with all my connections here, I would move there in a heartbeat. Our thanks to Dan Crenshaw for that interview. I want to tell you that today's episode was brought to you in part by Blinds Galore. Get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted. Visit BlindsGalore.com today and choose The Megan Kelly Show at checkout to learn more. Don't forget to subscribe to the show while I have your attention. Download, rate, review, por favor. Would appreciate that. Love hearing from you. Because on Friday, you're not going to want to miss it. We've got Cheryl Atkinson. She, you know, was at CBS for most of her career, at CNN for a time as well. And she is now with Sinclair Broadcasting. She has been exposing the media and its tactics. And it's not just bias. It certainly is bias. But it's also their connection with the elites and the way they shove agenda into the news. It's a really smart take her latest book and her her conversation around it on the problems that have gotten us into this mess in part as a country and certainly as uh, as the business of journalism goes. And we're going to talk about how they've come for her. I mean, they have tried to totally discredit her as some sort of a kook. You know how that that's how it goes, especially as a woman. They, you know, nuts or sluts. That's kind of how they try to take you down. Well, they haven't said that Cheryl's a slut. She's a happily married woman. <laughs> I don't think anybody's made that accusation. Um But yeah, they try to say she's a kook now, and she's not. It's ridiculous. She's awesome, and she's here on Friday, so don't miss it. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megyn Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. 
You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 